Good evening, friends. Well, I'll state the obvious. I'm not John Combs. I'm uh, a little taller, a little older, not quite as attractive. Um, maybe not as smart either. Anyway, I am preaching from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. So, same text, slightly different topic. He has life in the spirit. For me, I think uh, this might be a little bit more about life in uh, the Spirit's church and Jesus' uh, body. Um, I've not been a part of the series in Acts, so I don't know how it's been approached, but I'll give the briefest context possible. It actually starts at verse 41. Jesus has been powerfully at work. In the previous three years of his ministry, this little community had about 120 people. And starting in verse 41, uh, things change really quickly. 3,000 people are added. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty great day. And, uh, but it's, it, it's really interesting, the language. Uh, it says 3,000 souls were added that day. Added, added to what? The earth creation, some, some tally somewhere. Um, and the answer actually is added to the church. Um, when Jesus draws people to himself, turns the lights on, gives them new hearts, when they choose of their own will, enlightened by him, to choose him, who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Our great Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that you would show us wonderful things in your law. Press your good news deep into our hearts and grow their fruit for your glory, for our good, for the good of our neighbors. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, a quick informal poll. How many of you like rom-coms? I won't judge. Rom-coms? Fan of romantic comedies. If you don't know what rom-com means, you're probably not a fan. There's a split couple, they can't decide. Uh, anyway... Um, there was, a, there was a week about 25 years ago, it was, it was like a strange uh, inception moment. Like I was watching a rom-com while living inside a rom-com. I was in the rom-com, and trust me, I'd be the worst ever actor in a rom-com. Um, but there was this girl I really liked. We lived along the same route from grad school, so we traveled together and we got caught in a snowstorm in her small town. So. You know, terrible happenstance. You get trapped in this small town with the girl you happen to like. There's nothing else to do besides, you know, go to dinner, get dessert, and watch a movie. 
Um, didn't make too much effort to get out of town in danger. And uh, while living in the strange little snow globe rom-com, by the way, that was the last high note of that relationship, and maybe the only one. Um, didn't, didn't last very long. Um, well, she's a great human being. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the movie we went and watched uh, was 1998's You've Got Mail. Perhaps uh, one of the best rom-coms ever, I think. And um, the, the movie is about uh, this woman named Kathleen Kelly, played by Meg Ryan, whom God put on earth to play in rom-coms. And uh, she's the owner of this little family-owned and run bookstore, uh, the shop around the corner. And she is in the midst of being put out of business by the mega bookstore, Fox Books. Kathleen has been enjoying on the side this uh, little online romantic romance. Uh, this, for anybody that's really young, this started with the internet and dial-up, you know, before there was smartphones and apps. Um, she would log into her email and receive a message from NY152, who'd been communicating by, I guess, AOL. And uh, this is all together anonymously. And they finally decide to meet. And she's waiting patiently, expectantly at this little coffee shop, trying to look relaxed, when in walks none other than Joe Fox, the owner of Fox Books, whom she loathes with all her heart. Fox, meanwhile, immediately recognizes what's happened. This is the woman I've been communicating with. It's her. She doesn't realize it. And um, he thinks uh, about backing out, but goes ahead and approaches her, sits down, and what ensues is a really funny but terribly tragic, awful exchange um, in which he tries to bring up a book that she's reading, and she assumes he's ignorant, and he says, as a matter of fact, I've read the book, and if you'd give me a chance, you'd learn a lot of things about me. And she replies, if I really knew you, I know what I'd find. Instead of a brain, a cash register. Instead of a heart, a bottom line. And uh, she begs him to leave. So he does. He gets up and moves one table away. And uh, they continue to fight and bicker from there. And uh, he then asks, uh, this guy you're waiting for, he knows it's him. When he shows up, will you be mean to him too? And she says, no, I will not, because he's completely unlike you. He's kind and funny, a wonderful sense of humor. There's not a cruel or careless bone in his body. No one will ever remember you, Joe Fox. You are nothing but a suit. And Fox, who's sitting there, and he's taking it on the chin, and he's been patient, um, doesn't react, but calmly replies, that's my cue. And he pays his check and he leaves. It, it's ironic because as you're watching the movie, you know exactly what's happening. She's come face to face with exactly what she wants. She fails to recognize it. And, and that's true of us as well. We can come face to face with what we want and fail to recognize it. Maybe even go far as to dismiss and despise it. And uh, I'm not talking about romantic comedies here. I, I'm talking in particular about... Jesus in his church. Um, I, I've lived and worked in a cultural setting where it's clear how much people long for community. In fact, they talk about community so much that I've gotten sick of the word community, but uh, I still think it's a really good thing, of course. Um, and if you are to uh, approach some of those folks and say, 
I've got exactly what you're looking for. A place with people that are real and genuine and honest and caring. And you can be honest and you can be yourself. And they're like, where is that? What is that? I'm like, the church. They would say, uh, no thanks. And that, that is, in effect, coming face to face with what you so desperately want and dismissing it. And there may be some of you here that being here is hard. What I've just described is part of your experience. I'm interested in Jesus. Maybe he's working in my heart and life. I like some of these people. But church has been and remains really, really hard for me. And I know that uh, a relationship to the church can be hard and complicated. Uh, Tonight we're going to see that if you are going to embrace Jesus and his mission for you and for the world, you, you have to embrace the church. You have to embrace his community. And tonight we'll look at how that community is different and what it means to be devoted to it and, and how that community is actually desirable, what it means to desire it and long for it. But let's start with how the church is different. What makes this particular community of Jesus different from others? And I'll start with what I think is probably the most important thing, and it's the first thing in the text, verse 42. They hear God's word. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, Now, we're, you know, 2,000 years after this was written, so it doesn't strike us as sharply. um, But at at the moment this was happening, it would have been utterly fantastic, maybe flabbergasting for the everyday faithful Jews. They may have said, okay, you weird little Jewish folks, Jewish Jesus sect, whoever you are, studying Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, I said, I get it. But that guy, that guy you're listening to, you're devoting yourself to, that so-called apostle, that dude was a loser 40 days ago, right? Like 40 days ago, he was thinking about becoming a fisherman again. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Only some 40 days after Jesus' death or maybe a few months. Uh, that's remarkable. Absolutely remarkable, right? And uh, we have to ask ourselves, why? 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 What's so special about these guys and their words? And uh, you're here on a Sunday evening to hear God's word. So this is the ultimate preaching to the choir about the importance and trustworthiness and reliability of the text. Um, I think you should know at least a little bit of what I've seen in 15 years of ministry, which is deep, deep down, every single one of us believes in the prosperity gospel. That is some version of when I don't get what I want in life, sort of your sermon this morning a little bit, things we really, really want. God, are you going to give me what I really want, what I really need? And when he doesn't deliver, sometimes we can begin to doubt anything, even this. I've seen it so many times in 15 years. We can trust this word because these apostles, wayward, confused men 40 days previous, they were handpicked by Jesus, eyewitnesses of his ministry from the very beginning. They were dedicated disciples. Gentlemen, are you taking notes? This is the kind of daily experience they had with him as he went from place to place and taught. Regular recipients and stewards of his words, eyewitnesses of his resurrection, so much so that John will say, we, we saw, we heard, we touched, we, we know he rose. And they were promised the Holy Spirit. 
to remind them of everything that Jesus had taught them, to authorize their ministry. And in this text even, verse 43, talks about the signs and wonders that they do, which is not something that just naturally came to them the day they were born. It was an authentication of the validity of their ministry, of their word, that the power of the Holy Spirit was stamping. This is the ministry of Jesus. Listen to these men. This is the very word of God. This is how Jesus speaks to his people, through the mouths of the apostles, through the words of the New Testament. And we devote ourselves to them. We devote ourselves to the study of the word because it's the very word of Jesus. It's what makes us different. And uh, we live two millennia afterwards, and there are always people that are like, well, it's a nice book for you, but a little old and boring for me and not relevant to the time. And increasingly, we want to decide for ourselves what's true. Um, but by nature, we are always looking for some authority. And uh, Paul Rill Miller, maybe 10 years ago, wrote in one of his books, uh, some think we've moved beyond the primitive belief in sacred writings, but most of us have some kind of scripture or guide we follow. In the confusion of life, people look for authority, for information that brings clarity and direction. Some find it in the news or in the newspaper where they check their horoscopes. University professors will rely on the literature Almost with reverence, psychologists might look to Freud, revolutionaries might look to Marx, millions of Americans have looked to Oprah. We search for a word that orders the chaos of our lives, a word that makes sense of the brokenness. Every one of us is shaped by some script, whether it's a book, a movie, a therapist, and I would say the words of your parents. <laughs> some two, three, four decades later, still a script in your brain the search for words of certainty is so pervasive that one suspects it's pre-programmed. Einstein himself reflected that human beings dance to a mysterious tune intoned in the distance by an invisible player. I love it. You're all, you're all living off a script. It's just which one are you living by? And for Jesus, the script was God's word. And for Jesus' community, it's God's word to which we devote ourselves. We hear his word. It's what makes us different. And we also love God's people. They devote themselves to the word, and they devote themselves to fellowship. Verse 42, to the sharing together. They were together, and they had all things in common. There's this strange community of uh, togetherness and commonality that's unlike anything. But then you go and you think, and you read, and you study the scriptures, and you realize this is just the outworking of the Holy Spirit being what the Trinity is in human life. In other words, this is what Father and Son have always done, shared, loved, given, working that life out in our own community, making us beautiful like Father, Son, and Spirit, a community of togetherness. And in verse 46, we see the outcome of that. They worship together. They eat together. They are glad together. They, uh, that all sounds really enjoyable. It is. But also uh, caring for one another, verse 45. Selling and distributing the proceeds is all had need. Uh, I, I was a social work major in college, not because I actually 
intended to be poor um, or uh, save the world in some secular manner. Um, I'm not being disparaging at all. I studied that degree because I knew I needed a bunch of skills to actually know and care about people. And God was really kind to me. Um, in, in, in fact, the, the, the idealism behind a lot of what they did was remarkable to me, and I, I love those people. But they would have read this text and said, it's early communism. And I would have said, I don't think you know what people are really like. Like, people, people just don't uh, freely give up themselves and their stuff of, of their own free volition. There is something deep at work in the hearts of these people that would lead them to voluntarily, sacrificially care for one another. And that's what's going on here. Fellowship, and so often what we want is all the fun, all the, all the caring, all the, all the play, but not the sacrifice. The fellowship is both. Sharing life together, sacrificing for one another. And, and lastly, what makes us different is our worship. It's our worship. That we recognize God's worth, his great wealth, and we are all about it. Both individually, verse 47, praising God. You can do that anywhere. You can do that all the time. And increasingly, we're such an individualized group of people in America that uh, this is what people think of. You know, praising God. You can do that on your own in a car or in the shower or at work. But the focus of the text is on the corporate, what we do together. Attending the temple. You know, talking about going to church. Uh, baptism. You're joining the team. You're putting on the uniform. Breaking the bread together. That's the family meals. Jesus feeds the people he loves, the prayers, uh, a hint at formal worship, how God communicates his love and his promises, how he meets with and strengthens his people. The emphasis here is when we worship, we do so together. And, uh, you know, if, if you pay much attention to anything about the nature of religious life in America, you tend to click on the news articles. Increasingly, you see... Most people are identifying themselves as unaffiliated or maybe spiritually, but unaffiliated spiritually, uh, which is to say lots of us want spiritual things, but not spiritual rigidity, or we want things the way we want them, um, or maybe we want Jesus without his people. And I think the Bible is exceptionally clear that that's an impossibility. I think if you were to translate what so many people want today, maybe even what we want, and were to come and ask Paul, the question would be something like, how do I grow closer to Jesus without having to be a part of this church? Or put up with his people and all their frailties and frustrations? And I'm pretty sure Paul would say, I do not understand your question. There, there's, there's, there's no way. What makes this community so different is that this is Jesus' community. He is here at work, right here, speaking, and so we listen and learn. He's bringing us in out of love, so we love one another. He is worthy, so we worship him together. That's what makes us different. Uh, that was a long one, by the way. One long point, two short ones. Let's talk about what it looks like to be devoted. Verse 
42, and they devoted themselves. I just want to talk about that word for a second. It's not a word we use hardly at all, devoted. I can only think of like two things in our current culture that have anything to do with the word devoted. Weddings, which I get to do in a couple weeks. It's really great. And sports fans. And if you can come up with a third thing, come and tell me later. Um... And I happen to like both those things. That's great. But nevertheless, um, sometimes they get in the way of each other. Like, could you could you get married? Could you get married in, in the summer? Getting married in, in September is terrible, frankly. All of you people that got married in September and October, you're being a little selfish. Deprived me of baseball, college football, and professional football all at once. Nevertheless, I still love you. Um, Jesus is devoted. We start here not with our devotion, the church's devotion, but Jesus' devotion. And it starts, I think, uh, before our text, back in verse 39. Um, For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day, about 3,000 souls. Uh, I see Jesus' devotion here in this. Everything that happens before this is about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for his people. And then he's not done. The text makes it really clear. He calls them. And how does he call them? Well, among other things, he he sends Peter, in verse 40, to exhort them. Uh, Peter, I want you to go and tell them For the next 30 or 40 years of your life, continually, I want you to exhort them and let them know that I want them. I want them to come to me. And uh, so much so that I am willing to help them exit this generation and enter a new life, a new community uh, in me, in Jesus, in baptism. Uh, That's very maybe cerebral, big picture. I'll I'll give you the short, small picture, the personal micro picture, which is, I think, beautiful and moving, and hopefully I don't get emotional. Uh, A few years ago, I and two students at the time at Pitt were sitting, uh, getting coffee. They're currently serving uh, in Yakima, Washington, on the uh, Indian reservation there with Sacred Road. And they just sort of said uh, in passing, like, oh, uh, this weekend forever is getting baptized. And that sentence is a hard one to get your head around at first. Forever is getting baptized, and then I remember forever is the name of a child. I know that kid. She's like 10 years old. And like every kid at that reservation, or almost every kid on that reservation, terrible story, came to church all by herself. Parents never went. Maybe didn't know her dad. She came to church year after year because the school bus went and got her and bought her to church. And she heard Jesus over and over and decided, I want him and I want to be a part of this family. Like, at 10 years old, uh, we just sort of quietly cried in Starbucks because this girl was not only getting Jesus, but getting a new family and community forever. It's beautiful, right? Because Jesus wants that to happen. The reason it happens is because Jesus wants that to happen, because he pursued her, and he's devoted to bringing people in and to growing his church And as a response to his devotion, they devote themselves. They devote themselves 
to these things. The, the word itself means uh, to be extremely loving and loyal. And here it's reciprocal because Jesus is devoted to them and because he communicates his love and his presence and his will through the word, sacraments, fellowship, and prayers, they devote themselves to these things. I don't know what you think about the word devoted. You're a nice group of people. If you come here on a Sunday evening, um, when I originally preached this sermon on a Thursday night at Pitt, I'm pretty sure the word devoted means something like lunatic, uh, maybe. You get married, okay, that's a very special circumstance. Or you're a fanatic, you're a fan. Um, you know, sports fans, it's, it's okay. But at the same time, you spend thousands of dollars, you sit in the cold, and you keep cheering for the same team, even though they lose for 40 years straight. And never. I'm, I'm a Vikings fan, by the way. So it's like 40 years of losing, and they're going to break your heart, and you know it. Uh, and you just keep sticking with them. That's what it means to be devoted. Um, so maybe the kind of person's like, yeah, those people are idiots. And that's why I don't like sports. So for, maybe for you, it's uh, your online gaming community where you have like three different computers set up that each cost like the size of a small car. And as many thousands of dollars as you put into that, you spend more hours to be a part of that gaming community. And you're like, yeah, maybe that's true of me. I, I, I was a part of a community forever at Pitt that would often look down on the Greek system, the fraternities and sororities, where people would spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours to be a part of a small little intentional family. And they would say, like, that's utterly ridiculous. And my response would often be, yeah, but at least they know they need community. Like, at, least they, at least they recognize it. Do we recognize it? Do we, are we honest about it? There's this little parable, may or may not be true, about a newer Christian who visits an older Christian man. They are talking about uh, his dislike of organized religion, and the younger man asks if it's okay if he just follows Jesus on his own without having to be involved in a church. And the old man doesn't say anything but simply leans forward with a pair of tongs, takes a single coal out of the fire and puts it off to the side. And they watch that coal slowly cool and then die out. And the young man had his answer. If you're a Christian, you don't get to live apart from this community, at least not well for very long. He's devoted to us. Out of great love, he pursues us. He's utterly committed to growing his church for our good and for the good of the world. And the only true, proper response is us to be utterly devoted to him and to her, the church, in response. I want to spend the last few minutes talking about uh, how we desire this or how it's desirable. It's the last few verses in chapter 2 here, verses 46 and 47. I just want to say, I, I think what Jesus is offering here in the church is altogether desirable. Day by day, breaking bread with glad, cheerful hearts. That's my paraphrase of a few things going on here. But doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound really lovely? I mean, remember all the things that were terrible and awful about COVID? This is like the opposite of that. <laughs> um... Second time I'm bringing this up, but uh, the spring break trip we would take to Yakima, 
we would tell students before we went, like, this is going to be utterly exhausting. You're going to get in, like, midnight and have to go straight to class. You're going to work multiple hours. And it's going to be hard on your heart. You're going to see some terrible things. You're going to learn a lot about the world. It's going to be hard for you. Um, but it'll be good. And invariably, toward the end of the week, I always ask the students the same thing, like over lunch. And it would be some, I wasn't trying to make them discontent. And I definitely wasn't trying to make them, like, quit school. But I would ask, in general, compare. Would you rather have a day at Pitt or a day at Sacred Road? Which day would you rather live over and over? And the day at Sacred Road was a really hard day. Heartbreaking, hard labor. But you did it together. And they said, that's easy. I'll stay here. Yeah, that's right. This is so much what we actually want. Joyful life together. And uh, you know who else wants that? Just about everybody else in the world. <laughs> everybody wants a joyful life together. Breaking bread, having glad, joyful hearts. I, I just uh, remember this TED Talk from a couple years ago where uh, you know, she, this person was saying, we have this mistaken notion that being joyful or having gratitude leads to complacency. But the reality is that grateful, joyful people make the world a better place. That's a real, that's a real uh, slight challenge to me in my general disposition. I'm a little grouchy by nature. Um, but they push forward and make life better for others around them. And uh, that's great. And, and I think we all recognize that and want in on that a little bit. And I think one of the things we see sort of hinted at here in the text is uh, early on, this joyful little community and their strange life together was noticed and made a difference. Verse 47, these strange folks were praising God and having favor with all the people. Sounds strangely to me like what Jesus promised in the book of John. Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. When we work out in our devotion to the Lord Jesus, the things he's given us that remind of us of his love, and we share life together, it makes us different. A little weird to some, but beautiful. And people notice, and they want in on it. And there's a tendency, especially among you know, the more sophisticated of us, the intellectuals of us, uh, if you're in this church and in the PCA, you're sort of guilty of all this. Um, that's sort of who we are. Uh, we tend to lead with our, we're, we're big-headed babies, sort of lean forward with the brains. Um, by nature, the tendency for us would be to sort of curb down um, some of the less desirable parts of, of, our, of our devotion in order to be more acceptable in the world. And... Trust me, there might be some things that we do need to curb down, things that we mistake for maturity in Christianity that really aren't. But to curb down our devotion to Jesus and the means by which he communicates to us his love, that the things that make us different, uh, that's a huge mistake. That would be a huge mistake. What the watching world needs from us is, is not less devotion to Jesus, but more more and I would encourage all of you to consider who are the people around you work neighborhood family even that that perhaps you've written off 
or more observable to you are showing a crack, a longing for belonging, a place to ask questions. Can you invite them in? Can you, can you tell them, you don't have to believe everything we believe, but I'd love for you to be able to come and sit with a group of people that will listen and care for you. And you can sit in the back row and listen for years if necessary, however long it takes for you to believe that this Jesus is lovely and has come that you might know him and be changed by him. Are there people like that you can begin to pray for and invite in? Jesus is making us a community that's different, that's devoted to him, and altogether desirable. Let's go back to uh, You've Got Mail. We'll finish there. So after the ugly little coffee shop incident, Joe left. We didn't give up. Uh, while Kathleen Kelly continued to pursue her dream romance online with this guy, which was, again, which was him, uh, Joe, he, he pursued her in, in the flesh, out there in the world, as a friend. He forgave her for being mean. He visited her when she was sick. He listened to her talk on and on about this online guy. And he gave her a chance to figure out I am really the person you want. It's me. I'm the person that you want all along. And near the end of the movie, uh, with her still not getting it uh, and still clinging to hope in this other guy, Joe tells her, you know, sometimes I wonder if I hadn't been Fox Books and you hadn't been in a little shop around the corner and we had just met. And you can see her starting to get a little awkward. <laughs> she knows what's coming. But she also sort of wants it. I would have asked for your number. If she has like dropped all pretense. He has her full attention now. And uh, I would have been able to wait 24 hours before I called you and said, would you like to get a drink or some coffee or dinner or a movie? For as long as we both shall live. It's like a proposal. It's awkward and powerful and moving. And at the same time, uh, utterly his heart, right? And it's a bit corny. But he knew exactly what he wanted. And he knew exactly what she wanted. He knew she was looking for it somewhere else. And I need you to know that if you find that at all attractive and beautiful, uh, Jesus is like that a hundred times more over and better. We are, by nature, always wanting and longing something great. And he is always that something and we're always often looking somewhere else. And he never gives up on us. He just keeps pursuing us in this devotion. And drawing us to himself and to one another. And making us a devoted and beautiful community that blesses his world. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your kindness, your faithfulness pursue us, a group of people by nature, not lovable and not prone to devotion to you, prone to devotion to all kinds of other things, uh, I thank you for rescuing us and showing us how good and lovely you are. Uh, make us a church, a group of people, utterly devoted to you and the good gifts you've given us, the word, the sacraments, life together. Do it, Lord, not only for our own good, but, but do it that we might be a blessing to our neighbors. Help us to be a prayerful people, an inviting people. That we might have favor with them, that they might come and know uh, there's a Lord and a group of people that really wants them.
that their lives might be changed and you might be glorified. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.